0: Hello and welcome to Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. On today's episode, I'm joined, as always, by Greg. Howdy. And today we will be comparing Race for the Galaxy and Roll for the Galaxy. But first, let's talk about what we've been playing.
1: Right, and first on that list has to be Zombicide. We're recording a little bit late this week, so we actually played our weekly Zombicide session yesterday. Which, for those of you who tuned in, you got to see our first ever loss
0: Lost, not only lost, but TPK.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was pretty spectacular. We just got totally swarmed. The particular layout of the scenario was punishing in the sense that there was like a big, long building separating two sort of corridors. And they didn't have, you know, doorway access to the other side. So we actually didn't lose because we all died. We technically lost because Necromancers got away. We got away because we just weren't able to fight a path through to them before they escaped.
0: Exactly, and I think that this is finally showing a little bit more of the teeth that Zombicide has. Yeah. Because, I mean, even it was interesting because at the very beginning of the day, we were discussing about how this scenario is almost exactly the same as the other one that we played the week before, or two weeks before. And it turned out to be actually pretty different just because of the layout.
1: Yeah, like all of the rules were the same. You know, you had the green and blue objective to open the green and blue doors. Objectives were worth the same amount that they were previously. Your overarching goal was the same. You know, all living survivors have to make it out through the exit zone. But the layout really just made a huge difference, way more than I expected. And that's definitely something that I'm going to be taking a little bit more seriously next time.
0: Yeah, because it really was the layout of it all that really killed us. Yeah. The fact that there were so few doors and so few paths out into the areas where the necromancers were going, the paths and all that kind of stuff, where normally we were able to move around pretty decently, hopping from one place to another, going through enemies, other things like that. This time it was just like, nope, you have to go through this entire horde of zombies that is coming right at you in order to even get close to the necromancer.
1: Yeah, and per usual, because of the addition of the crows... And the uh, extra a bomb extra necromancer we we did see a lot of swarming. I think really, what I'm starting to realize about the crows is that the most devastating impact that they have is just to gum up your movement because they can get to your tile so fast. Mm-hmm. It basically means that you know instead of having one or two tiles of free movement before you encounter zombies, you're almost guaranteed to start your turn with a giant flock of crows. Standing in your way that have to be dealt with before you can even hope to move anywhere.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that definitely hurt us because, you know, we had the ability to go and like kill that other necromancer or something like that, but it was the huge swarms that were in our way. Though we did have huge swarms of regular walkers as well. True, yeah. The and walkers, even runners.
1: The walkers did get out of control by the end of it. So I guess, you know, next time we play, we'll just have to be a little more on top of our zombie management. We won't be able to... Attempt to bum-rush the objective like we did this time.
0: Yeah, not only that, but we'll have all new characters
1: True, although because of the fact that you have acquired Basically every single character pack and expansion for this game that is currently in print you know our champion or our hero roster is Like 45 champions deep.
0: Yeah, and I mean with um, other game Massive Darkness it's coming out soon, right? And that's cross compatible. And that is cross compatible yeah. with uh, Black Plague, exactly. so we're gonna have another forty-five different champions oh. to go for. At this point, it'll just be
1: like, "Hey, kill me so I can try out this new character."
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that might happen. And I well, just think like we are what on quest six of six 10. of ten, yeah. Plus, Wolfsburg has another eight or ten I think
1: I don't know I haven't looked at the rule book
0: somewhere along those lines and then the green horde has another ten or so so I mean we've got still quite a bit of game left yeah we have we have have some heroes that died but we also have quite a bit of game left I'm curious to see if we're gonna burn through any
1: yeah I imagine we will you know before it's all said and done I imagine each of us will probably get through another hero maybe two but I'm excited to see how it goes
0: yeah exactly Other than that, I believe that you've been playing a few other games.
1: I have, so one of my friends got me Twilight Struggle, you know, sort of the legendary strategy game for my birthday. I I was finally able to get that to table. I played with another friend of ours who's in town and it was somewhat disappointing. It's one of those games, it seems to me, where there's so much going on. There's 110 different event cards and so the sort of comparison that I've been making is that it's almost like chess in as much as the game gets a lot better and a lot more rewarding when both players are playing at the same very, very high level where they know exactly what event cards their opponent could possibly be holding, exactly what the potential implications of those are, and very importantly, the relative power the event cards because for those of you who've played twilight struggle you'll know that when you have a card that card can be played either for its you know sort of unique event or it can be played for its operations cost and so you know me being a first-time player i get really caught up in sort of the spectacular seeming effects of these events and i just go through them like water not thinking about okay i'll use this as its ops value now so that the event is still accessible to me later on. And I think the game will get a lot better once you know I and the people that I play with have a, a firmer grasp, I suppose, on the, the relative power level of the cards.
0: And a shameless plug right here. The designer, Jason Matthews, is going to be at Washington this year. He
1: is. Uh, he was at Washington last year. We had a chance to meet him and talk to him. He's a really great guy, and he's going to be back again this year. So definitely come and say hi to him. Say hi to us.
0: Yep. Back to what we've been playing. I actually got to play some Tokaido. Nice. And this is a game that I've been wanting to play for a while now, like pretty much since the Tabletop episode came out. Okay. A friend of mine actually got it when we went to Origins a few years ago, but I'd never been able to actually play it. Mm-hmm. So I finally managed to get it to table, and it's a really fun game. I completely lost. I was... <laughs> Annihilated by the other three players at
1: least you can admit it
0: Yeah, I can definitely admit it because it was just it was to the point where it was a little bit embarrassing Sure, but I just made a a few mistakes. It's like there are some things that are a lot more powerful than you think they are like uh, I was very caught up in using my ability in Mm -hmm. the game Which the game itself is all about, you know going from Kyoto to Edo uh, during the Edo period as like a vacation and so you're stopping by the shrines you're going to the shops you're going to the hot springs you're going to the inns, sampling the food you're painting the vistas and all that kind of stuff and my character's ability was that if i went to the shop you look at three things that you can possibly buy and if i had enough money to buy two of them in my bank i could buy the first one for its cost and then the cheaper one i would get for free
1: Interesting. So if you have enough money to buy both of them, you don't have to spend all of that money to acquire both of them. Exactly. Interesting.
0: So I decided to go for that and started spending a lot of my money on that, forgetting that in the inns, which are specific mandatory places that you have to stop along the route, uh, you will have to buy food. Ah. And now the food is worth six victory points per food that you get at the end of the game. And I managed to buy food in the first inn, and then I was blocked out of food in the second in, and I was blocked out of food in the third in, and I think that there's a fourth in, so I was blocked out of food again in the fourth in. Yes. So I missed out on 18 victory points that everyone else got. Yeah, that's. Just by doing that.
1: That's pretty rough.
0: So. In general, I think it's a really fun game. I like the minimalist art style of it. It's really cool. It has like the path that goes through and like the the different pictures and it's it's winding and like the all, all the other cards. They're all really cool, really beautiful looking. And it's a really fun game. I'm I would love to play again for sure. Maybe this time not make the same mistakes.
1: <laughs> it's a learning process.
0: Exactly, exactly.
1: Well there you go. That's a look at what we've been playing recently. Ladies and gentlemen, good evening, we've got the fight of the century for you tonight. In this corner, the original, you know it, you love it, Race for the Galaxy. And in this corner, the contender, the little box that could, weighing in at five and a half pounds, Roll for the Galaxy!
0: Disclaimer, these boxes have not been weighed for their actual weight, and the weights may differ depending on how you buy them.
1: Very true, and also we're not
0: actually going to be pitting them against one another.
1: They are two great games made by the same publisher, and very complementary. But, nevertheless, we're going to be doing a comparison of Race for the Galaxy and Roll for the Galaxy.
0: So, let's start with talking about the original Race for the Galaxy. So, Race for the Galaxy is... A game about, well, taking over the galaxy in the best way possible. Straightforward, I dig it. And it is a fully card-based game. Everything is based on pretty much the deck of cards that you have at the beginning, and that's it. Like, everything is that. That's your resources, that is your uh, cards that you play, that is how you pay for the cards. Everything is based on that deck of cards. And when you fill your tableau, then the game is over, or when you run out of victory points.
1: Roll for the Galaxy is pretty much the same sort of game. It's a tableau-building game. You're trying to achieve the most victory points through careful management of both your developments and your planets, as well as through trading. The only real difference is that instead of using cards as your primary resource, you've got dice, which you're going to roll, and each of the different faces is used to perform different actions.
0: Exactly. So the actions that you can take, these are pretty much... The same in general between Roll for the Galaxy and Race for the Galaxy. And they're also the basis of gameplay. Right. So the first thing that happens is that you'll select the actions for the turn. Usually, if you're playing anything more than two players in both games, you'll only get to select one action each. The actions are as follows you have the explore, develop, settle, consume, and produce action. Now, what these do is, for the most part, decently straightforward. So, Explore Action is the first one, and it's the one in which, in Race for the Galaxy, you draw cards, and you get to add them to your hand. Uh, Depending, normally you either draw two cards and add one, three cards and add two, or usually the base is seven cards and add one of those, if you want to do a deep dive and search for something specific. The person who chooses the action always gets a little bit of a bonus. So, depending on how you choose, you might get more or less of those cards. In Roll for the Galaxy, it's a little bit different. First off, you can have multiple Explore Steps, as you can have multiple of each one of the different actions, depending on which dice you have. So, for each Explore action, what you do is you stick your hand into a nice black bag full of tiles and take one of those tiles out. You look at it, you will keep that tile. You just get to decide whether or not you want the planet side of the tile or if you want the development side of the tile. And when you do, you go ahead and put that on the bottom of either your planet deck or your development deck of like the stack that you are working down towards.
1: Right. And then so the way that you interact with those stacks is with the next two types of actions. There's develop and there's settle. They're functionally very, very similar. Develop allows you to either, in Race for the Galaxy, just pay X number of cards, put a development that costs X into play, or in Roll for the Galaxy, you're placing a number of dice with development faces onto whatever your development construction deck contains. In Roll, once the number of developers, as they're referred to, equals or exceeds the value of that development, it enters play. And then Settle functions virtually identically, the difference being you're playing a planet instead of a development. Generally speaking, developments are more like upgrades. They tend to give you passive effects that are triggered by various things in the game, whereas planets give you more active capacities. These are places that you can put goods by producing, consume goods by consuming, or in Rule for the Galaxy, they're the things that actually put extra dice in your cup.
0: Exactly, and you mentioned the producing, and now the consume and the produce steps are the next actions that you can do. In race for the galaxy, it is consume and then produce, and the order does matter because all of these actions can only be done in that order. You can't go out of order at all. So in race for the galaxy, you can't both produce and consume from the same world at the uh, on the same turn. It is a two-turn process to. Consume and produce. Consume can be one of two things. If you are the person who chooses to consume, you can choose one of two bonuses in Race for the Galaxy. Either either get double the victory points that you would based on the powers that you have, or you can actually trade your goods for cards. So each of the goods has a certain cost in, in terms of how many cards they'll give you, but that's what you can do to get more cards available in your hand. In Roll for the Galaxy, the produce is actually before the consume. So you can actually produce and then consume on the same turn. And the way that this one works is that when you produce, you just take a die, place it on the planet that you are producing on. And in the consume action, what you do is you ship. So you take a die that you have that has a ship action on it, and you use that to ship a die from any of the planets that you have currently a a resource on. And you can ship in two different ways. You can ship to trade to get money based on the type of resource it is, or you can ship for victory points. When you ship for victory points, what you do is you calculate the number of victory points based on how many times you manage to match the color. So if you are able to match the planet and the good so you have a blue die on a blue planet well that means you get two victory points even if you ship it with a white die a brown die or anything else now if you match all three so if you have a blue planet you have a blue good or a blue colored die as the good and then you ship it with a blue colored blue colored ship action then you would get three points otherwise if you don't have any matches you just get one point per good that you ship. And the difference here, I think the biggest difference here between race and roll, is that you can trade multiple times in roll for the galaxy, versus race for the galaxy, first of all, only the person who chose the trade action, within the consume actions, only they can actually trade for cards, and everyone else can only consume. And even when they do trade, they can only trade one good, for that number of cards.
1: Exactly, and a lot of these sorts of things that we're talking about with regard to you know only being able to consume one good per turn, only being able to produce before you consume in roll, not in race, a lot of these really get at the difference in pacing and the difference in control that you have, which is fundamentally different in each game because of the core mechanics involving action selection. So those are the actions that you can perform, the five that we just discussed. Explore, develop, settle, consume, produce. But the way that you select them is pretty vastly different in the two games. In Race, you're just taking a card from your hand and sort of putting it face down in front of you. Once everyone's selected, you flip them up. Each of those actions is performed, and if you're the one who selected that particular phase, you get a bonus. So very similar to Puerto Rico, a lot of other more traditional action selection type games. Whereas in Roll for the Galaxy, because it's dice-based, rather than having a single card to perform a single action, you're rolling as many dice as you have in your cup. Say I have five dice, I'm rolling those five dice, each of them's gonna come up with a different face, faces representing the different actions that you can perform. So I'm gonna look at those and say, okay, I have a lot of development, and there's a pretty good development that I could be working towards. So I'm going to choose to develop this turn, but the number of dice governs how many times you can do that. So it's definitely a nod to sort of the different expression of the action selection mechanic. You know, race is much more controlled, but it's also much more of an investment. You get less spectacular turns because it's more about building up over time, whereas roll, you got. You know hypothetically as many as 11 dice i think mm-hmm. in your cup at one time so you're going to have huge explosive turns where you can do lots of different things and it's just one of the fundamental differences in the two games
0: yeah so the cup itself is of interesting mechanic in Roll for the galaxy and the way that that works is that at the end of every turn you use your credits which you don't have any kind of money in the actual Race for the Galaxy game. In Roll for the Galaxy you do have money. So you have a tracker that is like, says how many credits you have. You pay one credit per die that you put into your cup. So you might have, you, you, you will always have at least one die that's already in there because that was the dice that you used to, or that was the die that you used to select your phase or your action at the beginning of that turn. And then you add as many more as you buy these are then your pool of actions that you can do in the next turn once you roll them and select that's quite different than just having a hand of cards and being able to do however much based on the number of cards you have in your hand
1: right very much so and this sort of cup versus tableau it's called it's referred to as the citizenry so this sort of cup versus citizenry dynamic also gives you a little bit of control back because as you can imagine. With a dice-based game, mitigation is a very important part of that. So each of the different colors of dice have different distributions of faces. You've got genetics dice, which are predisposed towards wild. You've got rare earth dice, which are predisposed towards, I believe, produce. Each of them has slightly different variations. And when you pay for a die to go back into your cup, you get to decide which die that is from those in your citizenry. So if you say, Okay, I've got a huge stack of development, and I've got a huge stack of, you know, planets that I need to get through. I'm going to focus on my military dice, because those are weighted towards those two actions, and I'm going to leave my consumption dice on the field, because that's not what I'm focused on right now. So it gives you that sort of modicum of control back, while also being a sort of throttle. Because like I said, you can have, you know, 11, 12 dice in your citizenry at a time, But if you were able to roll all of those every single turn, the game would scale, I think, out of control. So -hmm. I think it's a very smart mechanic, this sort of pay to regain your dice, in terms of controlling the pace of the game and controlling the scope of what players are able to do without sufficient investment.
0: Yeah, and that whole dice limiting mechanic also comes into the actual stuff when you're building the developments and the planets. Because it's a cumulative system, whereas in Race for the Galaxy, you just pay outright. This costs 6, you have a development that gives you a minus 2, boom, you can pay 4 cards, you put it down. In Roll for the Galaxy, right, this turn I have 1 Settle. Okay, I'm just going to put that on my on my planet. Yeah, it costs 4, but that means over the next few turns I'm going to gather them onto that. And this also takes them out of the citizenry and out of the cup. So you're having to decide how many resources you actually want to tie up on those planets and also like what kind of dye you want to tie up because say you have a certain color dye that has a really high ratio of ship and produce. You might not really want to put that onto the settle because you want to like get more and more money or that kind of stuff. Exactly. So there is a little bit of a dynamic there as well.
1: Right. Right. And so, for all of these mechanical differences, for all of the different ways that the two games sort of express this engine-building core, the goal that you're working towards is fundamentally very much the same. Each game ends when one of two conditions is met. Either one person has 12 items in their tableau, items being your total of planets and developments, yep. or when the victory point pool runs out. So each time you take the consume action... Victory points are coming from a pool very similar to Ascension or Mystic Veil. And once those run dry, the game is going to end at the end of that turn. So in each case, you've got this sort of strategic balance that you're working towards of okay, I need to get my engine off the ground in the early and mid-game, but then I also need to make sure that I know what I'm working towards and I recognize when it's most beneficial to me to trigger the end of the game. In a situation like the last game that Jacob and I played. I recognized that even though there were objectively better developments that I could put into play, I chose two very, very cheap ones because I recognized that I was ahead and I just wanted to blitz down the end of the game. So in terms of game and sort of macro strategy, the two are very similar for all of their superficial and not-so-superficial differences.
0: Exactly. But of course there are some differences in just the general strategic Landscape of both games as well. Both games rely on this action selection and you have a very limited ability to Actually choose what actions are going you have your action that you choose But you know you want to maximize what you can do So in race for the galaxy, you know, you get to choose one of your cards You always have all actions available You are actively trying to read what the other people are going to do You know that, you know, let's say greg does not have any cards in his hand currently He needs cards does he have goods yes he has goods he's probably going to trade so i don't need to put the consume power or maybe i do want to use the consume power because i can use it for double victory points or something like that whereas you know if someone else looks to be going for a military thing and they have a really full hand of cards they're probably going to have some cards in there that they want to play so they'll probably play a settle i can play something else that will Give me more of those actions. I can develop first and then use that to help me settle or something. The same goes for Roll for the Galaxy. You're still trying to do that. You're still trying to see like what other players are going to go for and that kind of stuff. But it's so much more difficult because of the randomness of the dice. Yes, very much so. Because as you roll the dice, you are limited to the actions that you have rolled. So though you can do something like you spend one die in order to change one other one into it into a different action which is definitely useful they're not going to do that for like five dice because you can only do that for one per turn so even if they need like develops and they rolled no develops during the whole time they might look at what they have and be like oh okay settle is second best I'm still going to do settle and so it just puts a little bit of a chink in, in your plans because of that randomness and definitely adds a lot more variability and you definitely cannot rely on someone else to choose the thing that you think that they're going to choose optimally.
1: Absolutely, and I think if I had to choose one word to describe the difference between Race for the Galaxy and Roll for the Galaxy, it would be chance. As with any game that has a die mechanic at its core, Roll for the Galaxy leaves a lot more to chance. And they do, you know, with the different colors of die and the control over which ones go into your cup, and the reassignment process that Jacob referred to, they do give you plenty of mechanisms for mitigation, but it's fundamentally a less controllable game than something like Race for the Galaxy. Race, it does have the randomness and the luck in terms of the cards that you're able to draw, but even if you draw a card that you're not super happy with, doesn't really matter, because you can just turn it into payment to put something that you do like into play. Whereas Roll, You know, you have extra versatility because the tiles that you're drawing can be either a development or a planet, but, you know, say you get those things and neither of them are particularly useful, those can't be used immediately for payment, instead just representing this sort of abstract concept of later investment that you can do in further explorations. But overall, Roll feels like a more flexible game Because it has to be, because it has to respond to the unknown, the chance inherent with die-based games, as opposed to race, which is much more about heady strategy.
0: Exactly, exactly. Another part of the gameplay feel that's a bit different is just the resource management aspect of it. And in Race for the Galaxy, your resources pretty much are your cards. You have a certain number of cards in your hand. You can use those, you know, you have to decide which ones you're going to throw away in order to build something and this this always hurts me because i'm, I'm always <laughs> the kind of person who loves to like you know just have all of these things are like this would be so useful here this would be so useful here oh man which one of these do i throw out to get this really really useful card on the table so you and me both buddy yeah and and so there are different ways of doing it so you have a military strategy that you know you can place any planet if you have enough military or something like that but for the most part you have to be uh, you know ready to throw out cards that you don't need or something like that or that wouldn't be as useful right now and the deck does cycle so something like, something like Terraform mars you might be able to get that card again later on if it turns out that you really really need it in Roll for the galaxy your resources are your citizenry so your dice and as i mentioned before the whole them getting tied up by like waiting to settle the planet or waiting to develop and working on on the development or something like that that is where you're trying to manage your resources because let's say you have a six cost planet and a six cost development in the works, you're gonna use all of your dice and you're not gonna have anything left. And then you might even have one or two tied up that are the actual goods. So it can be really a bit difficult in order to just balance that.
1: Yeah, definitely a lot of careful resource management considerations in both games. So end of the day, comparisons up downs chance versus control what do you rate these games
0: i'm gonna say that race for the galaxy is a definite buy it for me uh it's actually pretty high up there on the list of games that i actually want to buy because i surprisingly do not own this one well you haven't had to because other people have owned it true true my my roommate has owned it for a while but i love the game it is a lot of fun the strategy especially with two players it can be really heady and you can like really like try to read the other player while still en- building your engine and i love that amount of interaction and the different strategies that you can take you could just go like oh this time i'm going to go for a alien strategy this time i'm going to go for a military strategy boom and you're try- trying it out and it's quick enough that you can go boom play through it and immediately go into another game as for role for the galaxy i'm going to say play it for this one it's fun But I think a missing part of that strategic depth that you have in Race for the Galaxy, the chance aspect of it really does bother me a little bit. And whereas in Race for the Galaxy, you can never do a consume action and still win the game, in Roll for the Galaxy, that's almost impossible. You need to have that money, you need to use those turns in order to get the dice back in your bag.
1: I totally agree. Um, I'm going to give exactly the same ratings, buy it for Race, play it for Roll, for pretty much exactly the same reasons. That's not to say that roll is bad. it's it's still a great game. It's just a different game. It focuses less on macro strategy and more on how do I control my dice to the best of my ability to get them to do what I want to do. It's also a faster game. So if that's something that you're looking for, you know if you're not looking for a game where you need to sit down and think four steps ahead, what's my opponent aiming for so that I can play this card to blah 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 blah. Roll might be better, but for me, what I look for in a game is really that engaging, back-and-forth strategic development. So for me, Race gets to buy, Roll gets
0: to play it. And that's our comparison of Roll for the Galaxy and Race for the Galaxy. But before we go, Race for the Galaxy is also available digitally on Steam, Android, and iOS in an app that was created by Temple Games. And they contacted us recently, and... They gave us a few Steam keys. So we have five Steam keys available as a giveaway. And this giveaway is on our Facebook page. If you go there, you will get entries from many different things for visiting our Instagram, visiting our YouTube channel, subscribing there, going to our Twitch and giving us a follow, other things like that, and especially for listening to this podcast. So by listening here, you've already gotten yourself five entries. The giveaway starts today. And it ends on August 8th. We will be announcing the winners on our podcast, which releases on August 11th. So definitely head over to our Facebook page as well as our website to enter and have a chance to win Race for the Galaxy as an app.
1: Thank you for joining us on this episode of Dragon's Demise and for sticking around. We know it was a little bit longer than usual, but we hope you're just as excited as we are about this great giveaway. We've got the Race for the Galaxy Steam Keys. Please check us out on Facebook. Check out our website. Enter. We'd love to give these away. Also... Washington tickets are still on sale over at WashingtonCon.com, so head on over there to check those out. Get your tickets if you haven't already. As we mentioned earlier in the podcast, Jason Matthews is going to be there. We've got a bunch of other great designers slated to come and talk about game design, about just various aspects of the board gaming industry. So we hope to see you there. It's going to be a great time. Play a lot of games, meet a lot of people, have a lot of fun. Join us next week when we review Machi Koro.